You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It is time. It is time. They can't be Packers. No. Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Check me out on Twitter at JJ Leahy. That's L A H E Y. Do stay up to date on all things Packers or to send me questions. All right, uh, real quick, um, I'm going to talk a bunch of silliness and nonsense on this episode. This is future JJ, by the way, talking. <laughs> I. Uh, I recorded 25 minutes of audio, just kind of riffing on the bears and and just dumb stuff. And now I'm about to get into the Vikings content. So I'm just letting you know, if you want to skip all the silliness and just talk Vikings, you're going to want to fast forward to about the 25-ish minute mark. We're taking an ad break right then. Um, And after that, we're going to come back and talk Vikings. So you have been warned. Silliness incoming. How's it going? been a, a while since we've just chatted like this just doing a regular cheese and packers pod uh we had the emergency college football podcast that i did with jake shavink from it's always draft season um did you like that i heard from one listener literally one wrote in and said he liked it did you listen to it if so did you like it or hate it uh i'm I want to know because I really enjoyed doing that and I would like to do more, but I have no idea if you guys even liked it at all. So uh, some feedback on that episode would be greatly appreciated. Also, then we did the interview pod with Pack Daddy uh, that we were planning for, I mean, I swear, a month or more than that, maybe five weeks. Uh, It took forever to get that scheduled and get that done. And then um, so we, we... had it recorded like basically in time to go out like uh, it was just going to be a regular afternoon show but I happened to have a busy week and then I was like you know what let's just since this is like an extra show that doesn't fit into our normal rotation anyways I'll just run this instead of cheese and packers and call it good and so that's how you go two weeks without you know really hearing from me (laughs) Uh, I have a topic for today we'll see if I get into it, though, because there's a lot of uh, news and notes that it, I'm just kind of dying to talk about. First, some personal news. Mountain Dew Baja Blast. You've heard of it. It's a Taco Bell exclusive. And then in during the summer, over the last uh, probably six years now, they you can buy it uh, in a can or a bottle at the store. They made a zero sugar variant of it. And... Um, 
if you've seen me, I'm not like the thinnest person in the world. I'm not massive, but I'm, I got a couple extra pounds I need to lose. So I don't drink regular soda or pop. Got to use both words because there's folks from all parts of the country listening who are really opinionated about which word you can use. And so I'm going to use both so that I can tick both of both of the camps off. <laughs> soda pop. <laughs> I don't think anybody calls it soda pop, but I'm going to call it soda pop here. You know, carbonated beverage. Soft drink. So I, and I really don't drink diet either, but I like the zero sugar approach. Um, usually I just think diet pop just tastes gross. Uh, but the zero sugar is, uh, kind of a cool new thing they've been doing. I, I don't really know exactly. Somebody out there knows the difference between zero sugar and diet. I'm looking at the ingredients on this can right now. I don't actually see like a sweetener, um, preserves freshness, uh, potassium citrate, sucralose. Well, I know that's not great for you. Uh, or is sucralose the one that's bad for you? Is it sucrose? Sucrose. I think sucralose is uh, sweet and low, isn't it? Um, let's see. There's no um, aspartame in here, which is good because I'm allergic to aspartame. Anyways, um, I they had started making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar, and I was super geeked about that because uh, back in my college days, I drank a ton of Mountain Dew before I started packing on pounds and I've really missed it. And so now that they have the Mountain Dew zero sugar, which actually tastes like Mountain Dew or at least way closer than diet Mountain Dew, which is a horrific taste. But you know, in the summertime they got that Baja blast and I don't ever buy it. I just look at it longingly like, Oh man, uh, I bet that tastes so good. But now they got a Mountain Dew Baja blast zero sugar. So I picked up a uh, 12-pack, and I'm just, like, living my best life right now. Also, I had a birthday, so there's that. Um, I've been trying to raise uh, some financial support to upgrade some of my recording equipment, which you can chip in at uh, with at uh, uh, patreon.com forward slash JJ Leahy. Um, and... Uh, in honor of my birthday, somebody contributed enough that we got a nice new monitor for my computer. It's it's sick. It's um, it, somebody just straight up bought it for me because um, they knew that I've been trying to um, upgrade and improve my my recording studio. So um, this monitor, it's a it's one of those curved screens, which is cool. It's like really wide. It's curved. So I'm really looking forward to watching some more football on this. Um, but I, I still want to record, uh, upgrade some of my audio recording stuff. Actually, before I started recording this podcast, I had to reboot my computer and, uh, unplug all my, uh, audio cables and everything and replug them in a couple times because, um, the soundboard that I'm using is a little problematic. It's a little old. And sometimes it only records just the uh, left audio. There's no right audio. So that's a problem. So I had to troubleshoot that. Anyways, patreon.com slash JJ if you want to jump in and help out with that. Big thank you to the uh, six patrons that I have on there already. Love you a ton. Um, okay, 
So talking about some of this football news, so Nikhil Harry, the, the Bears traded for Nikhil Harry yesterday, which I just find absolutely hilarious. This is the greatest collection of crappy wide receivers. Like, who was it? I think I think uh, Tanishka Mascar on Twitter, she's a Vikings chick, tweeted that the that the Bears have the greatest collection of wide receiver fives in football history. <laughs> it's just amazing. So the Bears traded for former first round wide receiver Nikhil Harry. From the Patriots, Bears fans are not excited about this. I can tell because every time I go into any comment thread on social media about Nikhil Harry, it's full of Bears fans saying, chill out, it's only a 2024 seventh rounder. Like, that's, you know, it's not worth anything. Like, who cares if he doesn't do anything? Because they already know he's not going to do anything. Nikhil Harry has been kind of an atrocious football player uh, forever. Um, I, so he was drafted in what, 2018, I think, uh, 2019, he was in the Rashawn Gary draft, wasn't he? Yeah, 2019, out of Arizona State, and I could not, for the life of me, I could not understand the Nikhil Harry, um, hype. I didn't want to touch him with a 10-foot pole. I thought that he was just about the worst wide receiver prospect in that draft class, that it was a terrible um, wide receiver class. So the Bears adding him to their room of horrific wide receivers is just mm, chef's kiss. So looking at his grades, he's actually, last year he didn't do horribly. Um, He was primarily used, I would say, as a run blocker. He was in on 153 passing snaps and 174 running snaps. His run blocking grade was an 84.7. That's that is good. That's one of the best run blocking grades I've seen. Um as a receiver um he wasn't fantastic if I'm being honest. 64 overall grade. Uh, let me break this down a little bit better. Am I looking at the right thing? Offense. Yeah. Offense. Maybe I gotta go specifically to receiving. There we go. That's what I was looking for was drops and fumbles. Okay. He did have one game last year uh, versus Buffalo, week sixteen. This was um, uh, this was the super defensive game. Um, we had a twenty nine drop grade. The rest of the season, he really was not terrible as a receiver. He caught zero touchdowns though. He had 184 yards on 12 receptions. He was a complete non-factor for a, uh, what, third-year first-round pick. This is appalling. Um, Like I mentioned, though, that run-blocking grade maybe is a reason to be um, excited about him if you're a Bears fan because the the only way that the Bears offense is going to get any traction at all is on the ground. I have been a Justin Fields proponent for a long time. Um, and by for a long time, I mean, you know, while he was in college and in the NFL draft. And then as soon as he got drafted by the Bears, I said, well, he's not going to have a career. 
Um, and sure enough, he's been dreadful since he got to Chicago. And I thoroughly blame Chicago for that. Uh, I think they, they took a fantastic quarterback prospect and absolutely ruined him. The Bears have 13 receivers on their roster. Immediately, uh, I think Nikhil Harry jumps up to uh, wide receiver two on this list, which I, I, I just mentioned to you. Last year, the guy had zero touchdowns. Um, like 12 receptions, right? 12 receptions for 184 yards, zero touchdowns. I think he's immediately wide receiver two on this garbage offense. couple things about him. So uh, he is one of the bigger wide receivers they have. He's actually the heaviest at 228 pounds. He's the third tallest behind Equinemius St. Brown, who, if you remember, is a freaking monster at six foot five. And Isaiah Coulter, who let's check out Isaiah Coulter, because I'm not actually super familiar with him. So he's a 2025th rounder. Who drafted him? I hate the way PFF does this because they I just I have to Google him now. Isaiah Coulter draft. Who drafted him? No, not draft profile. Okay, draft. He was drafted by the Texans. Um, it, I, I swear, it really is stupid the way PFF does this. They list what draft year, they list the round, and then draft team is always just left blank. If you're not currently playing for the team that drafted you, it's just left blank. It's so irritating. And sometimes they they mess up the round too, and it'll be it's it's like goofy, you know. Sometimes it'll look like the guy's an undrafted free agent, and it's just like, oh no, they just didn't fill this in. So that's always irritating, but whatever. But Isaiah Coulter has been in the league for two years. Um, he somehow got worse from his rookie season to his second season, when he already started out with a fifty-five overall grade. The guy has never done anything. <clears throat> They have, let me sort back by, uh, so this is by grade. So Darnell Mooney is the highest graded player on this team. Darnell Mooney scares me 0%. I don't understand the love around the NFL for Darnell Mooney. I understand the love from Bears fans because he's the only competent receiver they have. I don't understand it from NFL uh, supposed experts. Darnell Mooney was targeted 134 times last year. Caught 81 receptions. That's, what, 53 incompletions. Cracked 1,000 receiving yards. Pretty good. Four touchdowns. His receiving grade was a 74. Not bad. Uh, he did have four drops, so he had as many drops as he had touchdowns. Uh, his yards after the catch were pretty low, 4.8 yards. Um, and uh, they also used him as a runner. He had six carries, uh, got 32 yards. He did get one rushing touchdown. He had 5.3 yards per attempt, which for a running back is good. I actually don't know what is good for a uh, wide receiver uh, yards per rushing attempt. I would guess it's probably just the same as a running back. Two missed tackles. So, you know, uh, not really great as a rusher, but not horrible. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to be doing much rushing this year. 
last year, of course, the Bears had Allen Robinson, who was pretty terrible. And I saw somebody, uh, who was this? Um, oh, I don't remember who it was. I thought I bookmarked this, but I didn't. Somebody was talking about, you know, if um, Byron Pringle and Equinemius St. Brown and Nikhil Harry together um, can be better than Allen Robinson was last year, that that is um, an overall plus. And my first thought was, okay, I would certainly hope that three players could be better than just one player on his own. But it's an interesting question. Let's check that out. Allen Robinson last year was pretty horrific. Um, not just from a um, stats and grades standpoint, but just watching his play on the field, I, I, I thought that the Packer fans who were asking for Allen Robinson in free agency were out of their minds. He gave zero effort out there. He, you could tell the dude was done playing football. Allen Robinson targeted 66 times, had 38 receptions, 410 receiving yards, and one touchdown. So we got to get Nikhil Harry, um, who was it, Byron Pringle, and Equinemius St. Brown to equal 410 yards, 66 targets, 38 receptions, one touchdown. Byron Pringle had on his own more than that. So... <laughs> He had 57 targets, 42 receptions, 568 yards, and five touchdowns. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe Byron Pringle is your wide receiver, too, but he's just never been a good football player. Um, I, I think that the the only three relevant receivers this year for the Bears are going to be Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, and Akil Harry. Now, they have Dante Pettis who is one of the most garbage players in football. Thank you to uh, Dante Pettis for making Nikhil Harry look better. Uh, they got, uh, we know who EQ is. They got Tajay Sharp. Tajay Sharp had one good year. That was in 2019. Uh, last year, he had 25 receptions for 230 yards and no touchdown. 54 PFF grade. Uh, David Moore. He was a returner for the Packers for like a week against the Vikings last year. Uh, former Seahawk. Not a particularly good um, offensive player, but pretty good on special teams. So a uh, decent chance that he cracks the roster for special teams. Um, I think it was, what was the name of the running back they had last year who was doing special teams and murdered us? I can't remember his name. He's gone now. I think his name was Jakeem Grant. By the way, we've been talking about the Bears for uh, 15 minutes now. <laughs> uh, that was not my intention. What I wanted to talk about today was the Vikings, but this is, um, I'm, I'm just fascinated by uh, what the heck the Bears are doing uh, on, on offense. Uh, this is just, this is just wild to me. Uh, I do, all right, before we get off the Bears, let's talk about, projecting who makes their roster let's let's just uh kind of use Packers numbers because I'm not sure how many wide receivers they're going to keep in Chicago this year because you can't look at previous years because you got a new head coach a whole, whole new coaching staff new GM they're you know so let's say they keep six wide receivers I think that they'll keep six or seven 
So um, I think you're going to see Darnell Mooney, Nikhil Harry, and Byron Pringle for sure. They're going to keep Vilas Jones because they drafted him this year in like the third round. Stupidest thing ever. So that's four right there. So two more out of Dante Pettis, Nasimba Webster, Tajay Sharp, Isaiah Coulter, David Moore, Daz Newsom, Chris Finke, and undrafted free agent Kevin Shaw. I mean, does it really matter? Uh, they're probably going to keep Dante Pettis because of like his pedigree. He's a former second-round pick, even though he's a really crappy player. They'll probably keep him. So one more. Um, man, I just keep hearing about Equinemia St. Brown so much from them. And, like, I mean, you get it, because the Packers hung on to EQ for years and years and years because there was so much about him that was tantalizing. Like, you could see the potential. He had all these physical traits, all the skill sets, yada, yada, that you thought should translate. I think EQ is who they keep. Um, You know, I guess I'm not really sure off of this list who would be special team, you know, a special teamer who's handling returns and that kind of stuff is what I mean. Because they don't have Jakeem Grant anymore. So, you know, maybe you keep David Moore just for that as a wide receiver seven, or maybe you move on from Pettis or EQ. Um, David Moore just got arrested the other day, though, which is sad, but also hilarious because it happened to the Bears. Anyways, we're going to talk about the Vikings. Um, I would love to do a big, long Bears expose right now and talk about uh, wins and losses this offseason, you know, what what they've done. But I have a cool Bears guest lined up who is going to come on and talk about that. So we're not going to get into the Bears right now. As far as a Vikings guest, I told you I wanted to get a Vikings guest. And I have thoroughly decided <laughs> that I am as qualified as anybody out there to talk about the Vikings. There's no good Vikings coverage. I, I'm serious. I looked top to bottom. I listened to a bunch of Vikings podcasts. I read a bunch of Vikings writers. Wow, did I start to really appreciate the Packers um, media community. Despite how much I like to rant about Vikings or uh, Packers reporters at times, um, holy crap! From the podcasting community to um, guys like uh, Basarski who does video, uh, Tom Grassi, um, uh, writers like uh, our very own Sam Holman, and a lot of the other guys over at Wisconsin Sports Heroics or Acme Packing Company. You know, you got Zach Cruz and Paul Noonan and just a bunch of really smart people covering the Packers. And I'm not sure that the Vikings have one. <laughs> there were a couple of like really big name, you know, like, oh, 300,000 follower type, you know, too big to talk to me type people. But and, and 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 they were okay, just okay. I I was I, I know that it's the off season, but I felt like every time we were tuning in, like it was just real surface level stuff. Like, hey, you know, they're uh, they're gonna be using Dalvin Cook a lot more of the slot as a receiver. And I'm going, okay, I knew that, I knew that six weeks ago, and I don't even follow the Vikings. Why why is this what you're still talking about? Like that's it's not even. 
I don't even think it's going to be a big thing. <laughs> so I have spent the last week really digging into the Vikings to give you an overview of who this team is, because I think that in the NFC North, this is clearly the team to be watching for as, as the Packers. All right. The Vikings, I think, have a lot of intriguing potential. And there's a couple different ways their season could go. But I think that it is absolutely plausible, especially if the coaching hire clicks, for things to really start working in Minnesota this year. So we're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. We're going to take our ad break right now so that we don't have to interrupt the Vikings conversation um, down the road. So a uh, quick word from our sponsors. Also, uh, Ryan asked me to help put this message out there. We are offering a discount to a hefty discount to fans of this network, the Packard podcast network who want to advertise with us. We have our normal rates that we, you know, uh, put out there when we're hunting down for, um, advertisers and sponsors, but we want to empower our listeners and uh, some of you have businesses or events that you're, um, need promoted. We want to work with you no matter what your budget is, uh, what your needs are, shoot a message to us. Let's have a conversation and see, you know, what we can do, uh, with you guys. Don't worry about the cost. Just let's have a conversation first and just see you got an event or a business that needs to be promoted. Let's talk about what your needs are and see what we can hammer out. I think no matter what your situation is, we can probably find something that'll work for you. So uh, reach out to myself or Ryan. Uh, Ryan is taking a social media break right now. So uh, I think his email is thepackdaddy86 at gmail.com. But reach out to one of us and uh, we'll get the ball rolling and uh, see if we can do anything. So um, word from our sponsors right now. We're going to come back and talk Vikings. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I mentioned that the Vikings coverage is trash. It really is bad. Okay, every... uh, If you've been listening over the last um, month or so, I've done breakdowns of a lot of NFC teams. And the first place I always start is I Google uh, 49ers offseason moves. All right? And somebody out there has put together a whole list of here's all the incoming and outgoing coaches incoming and outgoing players, who they drafted, yada, yada. The Vikings are the first team where I couldn't even find anything like that. It is, uh, the coverage out there is garbage. I mean, it is really, really bad. Superficial articles that don't get deep. They don't talk about anything. Here's a, I, I would never trash Packers coverage like this because, even though there are Packers content creators out there that I'm not super fond of, I you know what, live and let live. I'm not interested in in trashing uh, fellow Packers media coverage people. But I I will happily I, you know I I hate the Vikings. I, I'll extend that disdain to the folks who cover them. This here's an article. It was it's another meh year for the Minnesota Vikings. They weren't so bad as to be unwatchable last year, week after week. But as their 8-9 and nine record makes obvious, the team certainly had its problems. It was enough to prompt a coaching change. Mike Zimmer got his walking papers, and he was replaced by Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell. They brought in Quezzi Odofo Mensa from the Browns to replace ousted general manager Rick Spielman. And with the offseason underway, the Vikings have officially begun yet another quest to unseat the Green Bay Packers for the NFC North title. That's going to require some smart moves in free agency, so here's a look at what the Vikings have done so far. They go on to list, like, nothing that actually happened. They mention re-signing Kirk Cousins, uh, signing linebacker Jordan Hicks, and... Losing out on Xavier Woods. And then they assign a letter grade of C. So far, it's mostly a push for Minnesota. Their two additions are clearly aimed at shoring up the league's 26th worst run defense last season in terms of yards allowed. I mean, two. We got, oh, Harrison Phillips. I missed Harrison Phillips. Jordan Hicks and Harrison Phillips. And that's all they mentioned. No mention of Zadarius Smith or anything like that. This this is it. This is this is article after article is like this. It's it's crap. And I listen to a bunch of Vikings podcasts. They don't talk about anything. You know they don't. Nothing talks about the football at all. You get you know sometimes they'll talk about uh, players coming and going and and I I was not able to learn anything from Vikings podcasters about Kevin O'Connell. I had to go do my own research on, on new head coach Kevin O'Connell. There's nothing out there in Vikings media about Kevin O'Connell. Like, for example, did you know that Kevin O'Connell used to coach Kirk Cousins 
back in Washington? I didn't know that. Apparently, Vikings podcasters don't know that either. For one year, he was the offensive coordinator. Actually, it looks at, so he was hired on January 20th, 2017, one year before Kirk Cousins left for Minnesota. January 20th, 2017, uh, O'Connell was hired to be the quarterback's coach of the Washington Redskins. O'Connell was promoted to offensive coordinator for the 2019 season, so two years after Cousins was gone. Um, blah, 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 blah. Following season end, O'Connell was not retained by incoming new head coach Ron Rivera. So he was there under Jay Gruden. So he was Kirk Cousins' offensive coordinator for one year. That's interesting. Let's go look at what Kirk Cousins did in 2017. This is the uh, big banner year in which he got his monster deal from the Vikings that uh, has been plaguing their salary cap ever since. And the first thing that jumps out to me is that 2017 was a down year for Cousins. So, um, let me see here. 2015, he had a 70.8 overall grade. This was his big breakout year. Uh, rookie season in Washington, he didn't play very much, but he looked really good when he did. Then he had two crappy years in 2013 and 14. Had a breakout year in 2015 with a 70 overall grade. <sighs> they need to fix their site. Um, he had... Are you going to tell me how many freaking touchdowns the guy had? Well, I, what? Why would I be interested in anything that doesn't have that? Come on. Passing. Thank you. Touchdowns. He had 30 touchdowns in 2015. This is his breakout year. 2016. He jumps up. Um, has an 80.6 grade, has 25 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, obviously a really great year, and he had an 80.6 grade overall in the season. That's largely dragged down by the fact that his first five games of the year were in the 50s. After that, from week six on through the rest of the season, he only had one bad game, um, and it looks like his average grade would have been... Uh, closer to 85, 86 if he had not had a slow start. But even in that slow start, <clears throat> he only had four interceptions and six touchdowns. He, he was still relatively pro prolific. He had one uh, game with um, a fumble, two fumbles. Um, but very good in 2016. So he had an 80. 2017, this is his one year with uh, Kevin O'Connell takes a significant step back. He only has five good games on the season. He finishes with a 70 overall grade, but that math is mostly due to the fact that he had one game in the 90s in week four. Um, here, here are his bad weeks. Uh, starting week one, um, let's see. So the good, good weeks were 3, 4, 7, 10, and 11. The rest of the year, 46, 61, 64, 63, 60, 55, 55, 53, 60, 39. He was really bad week in and week out. Five good games and with the one that was just freakishly good. That was against Kansas City. He had two touchdowns, no interceptions, 220 yards, but um, he graded out really highly. Um, then he goes to Minnesota. And jumps back up to practically an 80 again. 
and this was uh, the year where his like high low swing really started to take effect. Um, so he's working with Mike Zimmer um, and Kevin Stefanski. And he's basically he's doing two at a time, two really good games, two really crappy games, two really good games, two really crappy games for the entire season. That's exactly the pattern. 2019, um, 2019 was the year that kind of um, I don't know why, but 2019 was kind of the year that started to turn Kirk Cousins into a joke. And it's interesting because he really graded out well for the entire season. He only had seven interceptions had 28 touchdowns. Threw for over 4,000 yards. Um, he did have five games with a horrific fumbling grade. Uh, do they list the fumbles? Of course they don't list the fumbles on this page. They need to hire me, and I will come and show them how it's possible to have all the important information on one page. Come on, fumbles. All right, I had to go to another website. <laughs> of course. So 2019, he had 10 fumbles. It looks like alternating years, man, he's had nine fumbles in a season four times now. Um, so since he became a starter, so 2015 on, this is the number of fumbles per year. 9, 9, 13, 9, 10, 9, 12. So um, if you're into betting, maybe put nine on this year. <laughs> um so not a lot more fumbles than normal. Just one more fumble than the previous year in 2019. But um, he was not protecting the ball very well uh, that year. All right, going back to passing. There we go. Uh, and, and, but this was definitely the year where the narrative that Kirk Cousins can't perform in primetime emerged. And he did, you know, he had a couple games that were collapses, um, <laughs> looking at this whole year he did have two games right at the end of the season oh this is beautiful oh my goodness okay all right divisional round of the playoffs he had his second worst game of the season all right that was against the 49ers his other two number one and number three worst grades of the season both came against green bay oh that's delicious in week two, he had a 25.8 grade, 27.6 passing grade, 39.5 running grade, 20.9 fumble grade. He still managed 233 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. His completion percentage was 43.8%. Did he ever do it that low? He didn't do – he didn't have – an. Um, Completion percentage that low at any other point in the year. Wow. Uh, one of his passes was dropped. Um, what? How did he cough up the ball six times? He, he had four fumbles in one game? That's incredible. Wow. Wow, what a bad game against the Packers. Okay. Man, you can see why the Vikings hate the Packers so much. The rest of the year, though, he was actually a really good quarterback. So starting in week three, this is the week after Green Bay. 86, 61, 84, 93, 92, 83, 63, 72, 83, 66, 71, 79. And then a relatively bad stretch to end the year, although he did have an 82 mixed in there as well. So a uh, pretty good quarterback overall in 2019, but his reputation took a hit. 
2020, he only had two bad games. One was against Jacksonville. He had three touchdowns and a, a pick. Uh, but he had a pretty poor grade, passing grade. And then week two against Indiana, he had zero touchdowns and three interceptions. That was a bad game. The rest of the year, he was um, good. Not not amazing, not elite, but good to great uh, were his grades throughout the course of the season. 2021, he was one of the best quarterbacks in football for the first 10 weeks of the season. He was actually... Um, through week 10 last year, he was the um, highest graded passer in football. And I think that even after week 10, although he had some bad games after that, his numbers had previously been so good that it took a few weeks to finally lose that status as number one before he finally sank it. So, um, and it's worth noting, even though they won this game and embarrassed the Packers, his first bad game of the season did come against the Packers. So he had this really great stretch weeks one through 10. He had one uh, kind of poor game against the Browns mixed in there, but mostly really good grades. Um, high 70s um, up through high 80s. First bad game came against the Packers in week 11. They did win that game. He had three touchdowns and zero interceptions, uh, but his grade wasn't great. Um, he had, if you recall, I think three dropped interceptions that game. I think Darnell Savage had the ball in his hands twice. Eric Stokes had the ball in his hands once. All three were dropped. So um, that was on the Packers for not hauling those interceptions in, um, but it was on Kirk Cousins for putting the ball in harm's way. It was a bad game for him. Uh, even worse game against uh, the 49ers. Then they lost to the Lions. Um, and then they had a really bad stretch, uh, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and the Rams, and then wrapped it up with a really good game against Chicago, but he had a really bad fumbling grade in that game. How many fumbles did he have? I think he just had one fumble. Yeah, one fumble. So, um, on the course of the season, he was really good, um, but he had a really weak finish and, Mentioned that fumbles have been a problem for him um, over the few last few years. Last year, six, seven, eight, nine. Right, that right. No, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, not nine, seven. Um, games with really, really bad fumbling grades, and he had one, two. What does HAT stand for? I don't know what HAT stands for. Oh, hit as thrown. Okay. Um, he had uh, 12 fumbles on the season. Not good. But it is interesting to me that his one year with Kevin O'Connell as a coordinator was a a down year. It's it's the worst year he's had since then. Um, he's been a he's been a really solidly good quarterback, uh, despite his reputation of being like a total goofball. And you know, choking in uh, you know, when the, when the lights are on, he's really has been a good quarterback. And I think that with better coaching and, and with a better offensive scheme, no question that uh, the Vikings, who have have been good on offense the last few years, I think that they can get even better, maybe much better. I think you look at the talent that they have there. 
Um, you look at all the dumb mistakes that they have made over the last few years on offense, and I just think, man, if they are this good on offense when they are screwing everything up, <laughs> imagine if they got their crap together. This could be a really lethal offense. Let's talk about the rest of the offense, though. A couple of new coaching changes. So, um, Wes Phillips was previously the passing game coordinator. Their passing game has been pretty darn good. Uh, he is now the offensive coordinator. Office, offensive assistant Chris O'Hara got promoted to quarterbacks coach. Running backs coach got a title bump to run game coordinator. Don't care about that. Uh, tight ends coach got a title bump. Uh, they hired a new wide receivers coach. The assistant offensive line coach became the offensive line coach. Um, the Is that it for... Offense, I think that's it for offense. They <laughs> they did a mode rate and they promoted the assistant special teams coordinator to special teams coordinator. Um, oh, this is really interesting. Whoa. So they their former special teams coordinator is now the assistant special teams coordinator. They flipped. That's wacky. I remember the Packers did that a few years ago with um, their strength and conditioning coach and the assistant strength and conditioning coach. So they did that. Anyways, um, kind of interesting. From the player standpoint, um, let's see. This list is totally mixed. Um, got offense and defense both in here. So that's defense, defense. Offensive line Jesse Davis started 72 games for the Dolphins since 2017. He was an undrafted free agent out of Idaho who signed with the Seahawks. And then was with the Jets in 2016, signed onto Miami's practice squad, made the roster. Uh, he primarily played at right guard. Actually, he he logged 2,200 snaps at right tackle, 1,800 snaps at right guard. So pretty evenly split, but leaning more toward right tackle. Uh, let's real quick, let's look him up and see how well he played. So, Jesse Davis, um, not a good player. Um, allowed eight sacks last year, penalized four times on 1,000 snaps. Overall grade was 52. Um, his run or his pass blocking was a 51. And that was almost exclusively at right tackle. He played a couple of snaps at left guard, but mostly right tackle for the Dolphins. 2020, he was basically the exact same story, except he played a little bit more at right guard and a little bit less at right tackle. Um, he also played some left tackle for the Dolphins in 2020. 2019, he played 800 snaps at right tackle and 130 snaps at left tackle. Allowed four snacks, uh, snacks, four sacks, and was penalized four times. Dude is not a good player. Um... His best year was 2020. He only allowed one sack, was penalized twice. Um, looks like that's when he spent the most time at right guard. Uh, but he still only had a 62 grade. So Jesse Davis, I'm not scared of. Um, but does provide some valuable depth for them. And he's not projected to be a starter right now. Their projected right, right guard is Chris Reed, former Colt. 
had three okay years in a row after being really bad for the first three years of his career. Um, I would say he's a fine right guard, uh, about as good as anything you'll find with uh, Green Bay. Right tackle, of course, is Brian O'Neill, who is a good tackle. Um, Ezra Cleveland has been developing into a decent left guard. I still think it's weird they're playing him at left guard. Um, and, and they still they have not solved center. They drafted Garrett Bradbury in the first round in 2019. He's been atrocious. His pass blocking grade last year was a 43. This guy sucks. But you drafted him in the first round, so apparently you got to play him, right? You can't can't upgrade the center position because he's a first rounder. Doesn't matter that you know he is letting your quarterback get killed. He only allowed one sack last year. Um, that was pretty good. He did allow four hits, eleven hurries. In 2020, he gave up four sacks and 14 hurries. But overall, he's just not a good player. He's he's a bad run blocker and an even worse pass blocker. Dude allows a ton of pressures. 29 pressures last year. Or uh, 2021. Uh, 2020, he had 29 pressures. Sorry. 2021, he had 26 pressures. So he went down three. He improved by three pressures. Well done, Garrett. Uh, let's see, more additions here. Defense, defense. Guard Chris Reed, um, we talked about. So he's a, uh, played f- with Jacksonville from 2015 to 2018. In 2019, he played five games for the Dolphins and then three games for the Panthers. He was with the Dolphins in 2020. Colts in 2021. He did miss three games in 2021, um, but he played... Um, serviceably well in the 14 games he did play. Defense, defense. Uh, Austin Schlotman, a guard center from Denver. He's played 42 games. Uh, He's only started seven of those, however. So new offensive line coach Chris Cooper... Um, and offensive assistant offensive line coach Justin Rascati are former Denver assistants who have coached Schlotman for three seasons. So they liked him well enough to recommend bringing him in from Denver. Not projected to be a starter. Um, looks like Schlotman is going to be the uh, just a backup swing guard, I guess. <clears throat> um, maybe a backup. Uh, P- PFF projects him as the backup center. I think he's going to be a backup guard. Um, but he is a just a horrific player. Just horrible. His pass blocking grade was 26. He only logged 52 snaps last year. And yet he gave up four pressures. Uh, and all four of those were hurries. So you got to get the ball out quick because this guy was a sieve on just 50 on 50 snaps. He gave up four hurries. That's dreadful. And that was um, one of his better years. He's played three years. This was his second best year. Um, 2020 was even worse. And what's what's really um, disheartening if you're a Vikings fan uh, is that Schlotman played substantially more snaps. He played 269 snaps in 2020. 
um, and graded out worse than when he only played 50 snaps in 2021. So zero to be excited about there, um, unless you're a, a, a Packers fan and you hate the Vikings. And then tight end Johnny Munt, former Rams tight end, um, came with Kevin O'Connell. He did not play very much in 2020 because he had a torn ACL. He's a former undrafted free agent out of Oregon. He's been a pretty decent tight end, definitely much more of a blocking tight end, which the uh, Vikings definitely uh, like to have anyway. So, um, but last year, uh, he was targeted. Actually, it's not really useful information. He was only targeted one time last year, but over his three years in the league, he's been targeted 11 times. He has caught 10 of those receptions for uh, 93 yards, no receptions. Uh, His biggest year was 2019. So every year that he's played, he's caught fewer passes. He's basically just a blocker. He's, you know, he's kind of Mercedes Lewis. Almost always a blocker, and then once once in a while, you surprise the defense by throwing to him. And then they brought in uh, quarterback Sean Mannion, um, or I should should say brought back quarterback Sean Mannion. Um, not a good player. They brought in uh, two punters, Jordan Berry, and no, I thought Ryan Winslow went to the Bears. I think this is a mistake. Ryan Winslow is with the Bears. No, he's with nobody. Forget that. Former Packers punter. Ryan Winslow looks like he maybe spent time with both teams in the off in the off season and is now on no team. But Jordan Berry is uh, a an undrafted punter that they had last year, um, and he came back. That's about it. Uh, they brought kicker Greg Joseph back, which is good for them. He's good. Um, Wayne Gallman, a running back who is not a good player, who's bounced around a bunch of teams is currently a Vikings unrestricted free agent, as is wide receiver Chad Beebe, wide receiver D.D. Westbrook, tight end Chris Herndon. I think they should bring Herndon back, but we'll see. Tight end Luke Stocker, tackle Rashad Hill. Um, that's about it for offensive uh, guys. So players they lost. They lost Dakota Dozier to the Bears. That is absolutely addition by subtraction. Horrible player. They lost tight end Tyler Conklin. This, I think, is a big deal just because they just don't have anybody. They have Irv Smith. He has dealt with a lot of injuries. He's a pretty good player, Um, but he missed uh, basically the whole year last year. And Tyler Conklin stepped up and was a huge contributor in Irv Smith's absence. He started 15 games, played 17 games, had 61 catches for 593 yards and three touchdowns, and he's a good blocker. Um, he signed with the Jets. Um, center Mason Cole, the Vikings traded for him from the Cardinals last year. He started four games at center, started three games at right guard, suffered an elbow injury in week 15, got put on injured reserve. He signed with the Steelers in March. So that is the um, additions and subtractions for the offense. Looking across their offense, 
it's a darn good roster. It really is. It's a uh, totally fine offensive line. Um, if, if the Packers had this good of an offensive line this year, I would not complain. The worst player is Garrett Bradbury. Everybody else has a 67 or higher. Um, you don't have the top-level ceiling that um, you get from David Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins, but you just don't have any of the cratering floors that um, we were dealing with last year. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are both back, and K.J. Osborne I think is going to get substantial playing time. If you are into fantasy football, um, Osborne is going to be your handcuff for Adam Thielen. Thielen misses a lot of games now, just being an older dude. K.J. Osborne is the clear benefactor. Um, Ryan likes to talk about how K.J. Osborne is this garbage, crappy player. I disagree with that. I think he's a um, fine wide receiver. He isn't great out particularly great, but he doesn't have a negative grade. Um, I honestly really like him. Um, K.J. Osborne last year. Whoops. Uh, here we go. Last year he had 655 yards. Seven touchdowns. He's kind of a touchdown machine. Um, line up a lot in the slot. I think he will continue to do that this year. He played 51% of his slot uh, snaps last year in the slot. He was out wide 48% of the time. Um, and you can kind of see, just looking at his stats, uh, the games that Thielen missed. <laughs> uh, you can see his uh, snap counts skyrocket and nosedive from you know, various weeks to weeks. And it's because the Vikings um, just don't play more than two wide receivers, at least not previously. Kevin O'Connell might change that. I, I, I would say he probably will change that. I think KJ Osborne is going to get usage. I don't buy this baloney about Dalvin cook in the receiving game. Like, okay, fine. Like that. I, I it's going to happen, but it's not a huge difference. Like he's been a receiver in the past. I don't understand why we're making a big deal about, Oh, he's going to be used so much in the receiving game. Really? Because you have three good wide receivers. Like, you really think that this guy is going to be used more in the receiving game than he has been? Last year, he had zero receiving touchdowns, but he did have 224 yards through the air. Um, completion percentage, 79%. He was targeted 43 times. Um you know what, that's pretty average for a running back, maybe slightly lower than average, you know, but it, if, the last um, 10 years, the uh, running back one for the Packers usually gets about 50 targets a year. You know, you only have to add seven more targets to Dalvin Cook to get him to 50. He's, he's not that far off. So is he going to be used a little bit more in the receiving game? Yeah, probably, but I don't expect it to be a, a big deal. He's not a very good receiver either he had a 51 receiving grade last year so by all means throw the ball to Dalvin Cook I am more than fine with that um uh, as far as what kind of offense they're gonna run all right this is this is an interesting thought experiment because we don't have answers from Kevin O'Connell because the Minnesota media just doesn't ask him questions like that because they suck at their jobs but uh, you would assume, coming from L.A., that he's going to be running somewhat of a Shanahan-McVay offense, right? Um, and he uh, you know, previously was at Washington. 
he's got experience um, in that scheme. You know what exactly his flavor is going to be like. That's hard to say because even though he was in LA, it clearly was Sean McVay's offense, and um, you know Sean was calling the plays. Uh, I don't think that Kevin O'Connell is a bad coordinator by any means. I probably would have been um, happy to hire him if I was looking for a, a head coach. But how much is he going to run versus pass? We're just going to have to wait and find out. I'm really curious how this week one game is going to go. I think the offense is going to be fine. I think they're going to be pretty electric in week one, like they have been electric for the few year, past few years. Defense is going to be a much bigger question. Actually, before I transition to defense, if we look at – this is one of my favorite sites out there, my favorite pages out there. Here we go, personnel grouping frequency. This is on sharpfootballstats.com. I love looking at this. All right, Minnesota. Minnesota. Can I sort this? Actually, uh, for the first year in a few years, they did not run the lowest amount of 11 personnel in the league. They usually do. Last year, they were at 47%. uh, Average is 61%. But usually, they are the lowest. There were a couple teams last year. Miami. Atlanta and Cleveland uh, and Baltimore uh, all ran fewer 11 personnel sets. Now, Miami is interesting. We don't need to get into this, into this today, but you know, he had a big whole uh, total coaching overhaul there. And they brought in Tyreek Hill, and they didn't have any good quarterback play last year. So that probably accounts for that, that you want to lead more into your run game last year. Atlanta is a mess. Um, but they do have uh, Arthur Smith there, who uh, was one of the engineers of Tennessee's brutal run game with Derrick Henry. Baltimore, of course, we know is a super run-heavy team. And then Cleveland, of course, their head coach is Kevin Stefanski, who was the guy who ran Minnesota's offense for years. And Minnesota previously was one of the most run-heavy teams in the league. He kind of took that with him to Cleveland. Minnesota got much more pass-happy last year in comparison to previous years. So they ran uh, 11 personnel. That's three wide receivers, which is what most teams run 61% or more uh, of the time. Uh, Green Bay was exactly at 61% last year. All right, so he was at 47%. Um, the previous year, he was. Uh, they were down at 29%. That's usually where they live. 29% of their snaps are in 11 personnel, the lowest in the league. Previous year, it was even lower. Kevin Stefanski was there, 25%. Uh, and then the earliest year I have data on is 2018, and that was uh, Kirk Cousins' first year in Minnesota. And I'm curious to see if this season mirrors that a little bit more. They were at 68%. 11 personnel, so actually slightly higher. And actually, on the whole, the the entire league was higher in 2018. 65% as opposed to last year, 61% across the league. So 65%. Um, all right, we, so I wanted to c- touch on that. But looking at the defense, this is where I think in week one, the Vikings are going to have almost no chance against the Packers because they're – Defense is so young, and especially their DBs are really an issue. 
I don't expect that to necessarily be true on the season as a whole. By the time we play them the second time, I think that you're going to be looking at a different Vikings defense that is has had some time to gel, is cohesive, okay? But week one, if they're going to have any chance of beating the Packers, they're going to need two things. One, they need the Packers' offense to really stink it up, uh, similar to what they did last year in week one. Also, they need to come together and play well. You know, you had the, the Saints defense last year. It was the same guys who were always there. They were used to playing together. Um, it's been a good defense for a long time. That's not the case with the Vikings defense. They have come off back-to-back years of really atrocious defense. And across the board, you got some problems. So I'll start with the only strength that they have, and that is their defensive line. You got Zadaria Smith and Daniil Hunter. I think they're going to be one of the um, really solid pass rushing duos in the league. Uh, both of them have not played very much in the last couple of years. Uh, let me see here. Daniil Hunter last year played about 400 snaps. Uh, Zadarius, of course, only played 37 snaps. <sighs> And in those 37 snaps, he did not play well. He did have that sack, but the rest of his game was pretty bad. And although nobody wanted to hear it, I have been screaming for two years. Zadarius Smith in 2020 was a not a good football player. He had a, he regressed significantly from 2019 to 2020. I did not want to bring him back in 2020. I was really upset. Or I'm sorry, uh, 2021. After this 2020 season, I did not want to bring him back for 2021. I was really mad that we gave him all that money. And then on top of, you know, the fact that I was concerned about his injury history, I was concerned about his regression. Then he just didn't even play the whole year. So I was upset about that. I wish we had moved on from him a year early. Um, But I think that he's probably going to get back to being at least a very good pass rusher again this year. We'll see how much he can play. Um, he's still missing some time in um, uh, in, in their offseason uh, practices and stuff with phantom mystery injuries that nobody has any clarity about. Doesn't that sound familiar? Um, and Daniil missed the 2020 season. But those two guys, I think... You know, I, I look back to 2019, week one, um, Matt LaFleur's first game as a head coach. This is at Chicago, um, playing up, going up against the Bears, who had gone 13-3 and the year before. And Preston and Zedaria Smith just terrorized Mitch Trubisky all day long. We are rolling into this game with... Possibly a new and inexperienced offensive line that doesn't have um, doesn't have a history of working together. You might be starting somebody new at tackle. It might be Bakhtiari and Yash as, as your two tackles. I'm not sure. We have to wait and see how that shakes out. And you got two pretty good pass rushers coming up against them. I think that this is, if the Vikings have any chance of controlling the Packers offense, this is where it comes from, is these two guys getting in Aaron Rodgers' lap. The interior of that defensive line is also um, problematic for the Packers. Dalvin Tomlinson is a good football player. 
Um, he's not fantastic against the run, but he's a great pass rusher, and he's competent enough against the run. Um, he has uh, pr- pretty much every year since he entered the league, he has graded out slightly worse than the year before. You've had basically five straight years of regression, but he's still a good football player and had one of his better pass rushing years last year. And then next to him, you've got Harrison Phillips, former Buffalo Bill. Now, he's a guy who kind of has a good year and then a bad year, then a good year and then a bad year. And he is due for a bad year this year, but I don't put a ton of stock into those kinds of swings. And I think you look at the rest of the defensive line, they're pretty darn good. I think that there's every every reason to think that he could uh, be pretty good this year. Let's see, Harrison Phillips, there's my little blurb on him. Come on. I scrolled way too far. Harrison Phillips. My notes. Harrison Phillips. Come on. Here we go. All right. So he replaces Michael Pierce, who was crapola. Um, he play he's played 45 regular season games so, so far, but he was a little more of a rotational guy with the Bills. So this he, this is going to be asking him to step up and be more of a full time contributor and to be a starter. Um, he's a former third round pick. He only has one sack, uh, one pass breakup, one fumble fumble recovery. Uh, but he's got 51 tackles. Um, in short, this is a guy who has looked good in limited sample size, and you're hoping to see him really take a step. Now, he did last year play 600 snaps. So he did get a full workload last year, but it was the first year he really played a full workload. So these two guys, I think, can anchor down the interior. You've got a really solid defensive line. Now, if... If the Vikings can get pressure on Rodgers with just the front four, that has always been the kryptonite for the Packers. If you can control and and get home with just your front four without needing to bring linebacker or safety or corner help, that is how you beat the Packers. And I think they have the horses to do it. Now, you don't have anybody on on this line who last year was like a freaky stud, but Zedarius has it in him. Daniil has it in him. They're both a year older. They both have racked up a ton of injuries and are still dealing with injuries. We'll see what they can do, but I wouldn't rule it out. Now, your front seven, you got your, your three linebackers are uh, Jordan Hicks. Uh, let's talk about him in just a second. Uh, you also have Eric Kendricks. I don't need to tell you who he is. Um, if you've been listening to uh, Packers and Vikings coverage um, at all, over the last few years, you also have Blake Lynch. Now, Blake Lynch was a um, undrafted. I don't even know if he was undrafted because this site is so stupid. I'm not going to look it up. Former Baylor player, 2020, horrific player in 2020. Played slightly better in 2021, but that was pretty much all just uh, blitzing. Whenever he was asked to do run defense or drop into coverage. He was a liability. His coverage was okay. Run defense was a real liability. Um, uh, if you got three linebackers on the field, he's going to be your Sam. Kendricks, of course, is your Mike. Uh, they shouldn't mess around with anything other than that. Linebacker Jordan Hicks, your Will. Former Cardinal. 
Been with the Cardinals for three years. The Cardinals just released him. He signed with the Vikings. He has started 49 regular season games for the Cardinals over the last three seasons. He's going to be a full-time starter. The Vikings have a new 3-4 look. You're probably going to see a lot of uh, Tomlinson, Phillips, and DJ Wonham, who's a horrific player up front. Um Jordan Hicks, Eric Kendricks as your middle linebackers, Zadarius and Daniil as your stand-up edge rushers. It's probably what it's going to look like. Um, so, but uh, Hicks is going to get plenty of playing time. He actually last year had a better season than um, Eric Kendricks did. Um, Jordan Hicks, say third-round pick out of Texas in 2015. <clears throat> Three of his first four years in the league were really, really good. Since then, since he got to Arizona, he was a 61, a 50, and a 62. I don't put a lot of stock in that because I think that Arizona is a trash team. I don't like their defense. So it's not really surprising to me that he was bad while he was there. I think that he has it in him to get right back to being a good linebacker. Um, He hasn't done it in three years, but that's a thing. But they're... Um, DBs are a problem. Patrick Peterson was bad last year. Like I said, he'd be, he's not been a good football player for, uh, I mean, four years. So he was coming off, uh, one of his worst years ever in 2020 when he signed with the Packers, uh, not the Packers, the Vikings in 2021, he turned in a 63 overall grade. One of the biggest issues with him is tackling. Specifically, consistency in tackling. It's kind of weird. He bounces between high 70s to uh, 20s, week to week. 72, 26, 29, 75, 36, 76, 76, 78, 44, 79, 45, 44, um, and then 78. Overall, tackling grade on the year, 54. He's just very inconsistent. In coverage, he's a liability. He had one good game last year. That came against Detroit. Detroit didn't have... It was in week five before Amon Ross St. Brown had really done anything. And they had just a trash garbage offense. Um, He's basically kind of only a run defender. And he's a run defender who can't tackle. He's bad in coverage. Um, last year he had 39 tackles, but he had seven missed tackles. Uh, his miss percentage is 13%. That's pretty bad. He did have five, uh, 15 run stops. Uh, he was targeted 64 times. Um, and he gave up 455 yards, 12 yards per reception he got he gave up 250 yards after the catch and looking over the course of the season it was not like he had one or two long ones here or there that boosted that number up no, it was pretty much just constant giving up a ton of yards after the catch every game the longest reception he gave up was 77 yards uh to the cardinals let me see what did, what did he do against the packers so in week 11 when they beat the packers he had a 58 grade uh this is one of his good tackling weeks he had two tackles and an assist, one run stop. He was targeted seven t- seven times, 
and give up three targets, or sorry, three receptions for 41 yards, uh, zero touchdowns, zero touchdowns, yes, uh, long of 12 yards. Just okay, not great. Week 17, when the whole team imploded, he had a 57 grade. This is another one of his, or this is one of his bad tackling games. His run defense was the worst of the year at 39.9. Four tackles, one missed tackle, one run stop, targeted three times, gave up zero receptions. So he was, um, other than his missed tackle, he played really well. He was one of the only players who played well in that game. Patrick Peterson, though. Not a good player. They need to do what they can to upgrade um, at the corner position. They did bring in Nate Hairston. He's a former fifth rounder by the Colts. I spent two seasons with the Colts. Then he was traded to the Jets. Um, played there for 2019-2020. Was released by the Jets. Signed with the Broncos. He played a full season for the Broncos in 2021. And he does have uh, experience in Denver playing for new Vikings defensive coordinator Ed Donatell. Ed Donatell, let's talk about him before we wrap up defense. Uh, but I got to stay on topic and finish up these um, DBs. So they they did draft Lewis Seen out of Georgia. This was my favorite safety in the draft. I liked him a ton. Thought he was an absolute stud. I'm sad to see the Vikings get him. Um, but you know, on, on the plus side, he's just replacing Anthony Harris, who's been a very good safety for the Vikings. So they went from having two good safeties to having one good safety and a really promising rookie. So I think at best you are treading water there. Um, the other corner that they have is Cam Dantzler, who is, again, just a run defender. The Vikings are really good against the run, or they were last year. Coverage-wise, he's just kind of up and down. More good games overall than bad games last year, uh, but his his grades are kind of all, the, all over the place, and the unfortunate thing is that his coverage grades never really get very high. He's got like highs and lows when it comes to run defense, highs and lows with tackling, and then kind of consistently mediocre in coverage. He played 433 snaps in coverage last year, 250 in run defense. He had four missed tackles on the season, not too bad. Um, 17 run stops. Uh, he gave up 33 receptions for 311 yards, much better than Patrick Peterson. Um, only gave up 107 yards after the catch. Uh, looks like he gave up 14, 14, 18, and 14 yards in four games. And the rest of the season, it was single digit or zero yards. So um, decent enough in coverage. He's he's consistent, but not elite in coverage. So I think he's fine. But the problem is he's kind of who you want as your CB2, and he's their CB1. Clearly, head and shoulders better than Patrick Peterson. Now, is Nate Hairston going to get in on the action and um, play uh, some meaningful snaps? Well, the thing with Nate Hairston, he's um, pretty darn decent in coverage. Uh, he didn't play a ton last year. 120 snaps. 
He had um how many yards? He gave up fifty-five yards total on eight receptions. He was targeted fifteen times, gave up just a little over half of those. Um, so he played fine, but it's just been such a small sample size. And um, his coverage looks a, bit, a little bit more like Rasul Douglas, where he's got the high highs and the low lows. As far as any takeaways, uh, zero interceptions. Uh, he gave up two touchdowns. Um, he That's sad, two touchdowns on 55 or uh, on two touchdowns on 15 targets. Nate Harrison does not scare me. Um, let's see, of course, they do have Chandon Sullivan. We know who he is. Um, the, the thing is with Chandon Sullivan, I think a lot of people uh, kind of get his numbers backwards a little bit. Um, one thing everybody agrees on is he played really well in 2019. His overall grade was a 73.6. Um, he had two bad games, one of which came against Minnesota, interestingly enough. Uh, the rest of the year, he was pretty darn solid. He always struggled with tackling, though. That was, um, an issue. 2020 was kind of the year where he got just crucified by fans and the media. And then in 2021, um, I think people kind of thought he stepped back up again. The interesting thing is 2021 is when he really cratered. And played really poorly. 2020, he was pretty solid for most of the year. Now, he had a bad game against the Buccaneers. He also had one, two, three, four, five, six games. And then we'll count the Buccaneers game. So, seven games total where he was quite bad in 2020. Interestingly, the first time he played the Buccaneers was not one of those bad games. So, he played well against the Buccaneers the first time, bad against them the second time. Um, on the whole season, he had uh, 10 really good games, 6 really bad games. One of his games was elite against the Panthers. Rounded out at, at a 60 grade, which is average. I don't think that uh, Troy Aikman's um, crucifying of him in the championship game uh, coverage was um, warranted. But he certainly struggled against Gronk. 2021, I think a lot of people really thought that he stepped back up. No. 2021, he had three good games. Um, I'll give him partial credit for a fourth against Minnesota. And the rest of the year, he was dreadful. Um, and uh, two of his games against uh, Chicago and Washington, week six and seven, were really good. And it dragged his overall grade up quite a bit to a 55 on the season. The dude has been going the wrong way for the last few years. It's not surprising that the Packers let him walk. His coverage grade was a 57. His tackling grade was a 47. His run defense was 37. Did not play well. He had seven missed tackles. He was uh, he had nine run stops. He was targeted 70 times. Gave up 49 of those for 600 yards. I didn't realize that. Um... 343 yards after the catch, 79 yards was his longest. I think I remember that one. When that was uh, against the Rams, I think that was the Odell uh, long run or long catch and run. That was painful. He did allow three uh, three touchdowns. He had three interceptions and a pass breakup, but a bad season. But looking at the Vikings DB group, I think he's going to get 
substantial playing time. Uh, I think he's going to be their slot corner. They just don't have anybody else that you can put out there. I mean, they're they're trotting Patrick Peterson out there, and it's the ghost of Patrick Peterson. He's been bad. They also brought in Ty Smith, or not? They they re-signed Ty Smith. He was bad for him last year. I think he'll be bad for him again this year. Um, uh, and when I say bad, I mean bad in practice. He made the practice squad. Uh, I remember reading about about him and wondering why he was even being retained, but whatever. So they just don't have corners, um, and I think that that uh, unless they really get better cornerback play, they're going to be in substantial trouble. Um, they also they did draft cornerback Andrew Booth. He could be maybe the savior. If he gets up to speed, starts playing well, so he was drafted in the second round. He was a projected first-round pick out of Clemson. Um, I thought he was fine. Uh, I didn't love him like I loved Lewis Seen. Andrew Booth, if he can get it figured out and start playing, this is, this is I think, where the hope for their DB room can come from. I would be shocked if he could come in and be a number one corner in year one, but maybe he provides enough that you can get Patrick Peterson off the field. Um, maybe Cam Dancer takes a step forward and, and becomes more of a lockdown number one corner. And Dantzler and Booth can begin a long career together. Um, hopefully for the Vikings that happens. Uh, I don't think it will, uh, at least not in year one. They also drafted in, what is this, the fifth round, a Caleb Evans out of Missouri. Uh, did not care for him too much. Not super worried about him. But like I said, you just got a lot of youth across the defense, especially in the DB room. And overall, it's underwhelming enough, and you have enough new pieces. You got one, two, because uh, Scene, uh, Hicks, Zadarius, uh, Harrison Phillips, possibly Andrew Booth if he's playing. That's a lot of new pieces to be throwing into this defense that wasn't great last year, was really bad the year before. Um, you know, Bad enough that it got Mike Zimmer fired last year. I, I just think that it's pretty reasonable to think that they're going to struggle getting started, getting this off the ground. So if you have any hiccups at all on offense, I just think that it, there, there's a world out there where the Packers completely crater like they did in week one last year. I, I think because it happened last year, it's pretty unlikely that they'll let it happen this year, but they could, you never know. But I also think, you know, it being a division uh, rival that we're playing, I think the Packers are going to take this seriously. I think they're going to come in really polished, really ready to play. I think our defense is going to be ready to handle their better side of the ball. It's a good matchup for the Packers. Because our good side of the ball is going up against their good side of the ball. Our questionable side of the ball is going up against their questionable side of the ball. But uh, I'm, I'm just staking my claim right now that I think the defensive line for the Vikings is going to be make or break for them in week one. I expect the Packers to win this game. Zadarius and Daniil, I think, are the only ones who really have the power to change that. Now, we'll see. Maybe... Um, Cousins and Jefferson and Cook really get it going and are just really humming in week one. 
it's certainly possible. They've gotten off to kind of slow-ish starts over the last couple of years. They have a new head coach, a new offensive coordinator, new coaching staff everywhere. I think it's pretty reasonable to expect this pretty young team to struggle a lot in week one. And when I was talking about linebackers and the offensive line, there were a couple of draft picks that I did not cover because I didn't really think they were really relevant. But after reflecting, I thought, you know, I wonder if people are going to have questions about this. So I'm going to talk about Brian A. Samoa and and, uh, Ed Ingram. Ed Ingram uh, is a guard out of LSU. Um, certainly was very highly regarded by the draft community. We had Coach Hahn on here, and Coach Hahn doesn't like to trash um, players, and so I'm not going to say that he was trashing players, but when when I was asking him uh, privately about like pros and cons of players, with Ed Ingram, he kind of had a little bit of a hard time seeing it, seeing the upside there. Um, and I think one of the things that I noticed in my own observations during scouting was that Ed feels really developmental. I think that he maybe has the tools long-term to turn into something, but I, I just, I don't think he's going to be any kind of an impact in 2022. Brian A. Samoa maybe is a different story. Um, the reason I didn't talk about him is because the two guys ahead of him are pretty solid in uh, Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks. So if you're going to um, talk about him getting some snaps in the field as the Sam, I think that he certainly might end up being the third best linebacker on this team. I just don't know how often they're going to turn to that look. So uh, Brian A. Samoa, a, a guy that I liked, I think he was maybe my number one linebacker in this draft or number two, but I liked him a lot is the point. And I think he can be good. But again, this is a guy that I think is a little bit more about the future. I think that Eric Hendricks is probably not going to be with, with this team for much longer. And Jordan Hicks is a new addition. So I think with either one of those guys, you appreciate having Brian A. Samoa here for this year and for the future just as depth. That if you need somebody else to go to, you can. But I didn't talk about him when I was talking about the linebackers because... Um, it's not like the corner positions where I'm saying, man, you got some trash players starting and no help coming from anywhere else. Linebacker is a strength for them. So uh, Brian A. Samoa, I totally understand the drafting of him. I didn't think it was a huge need this year, but maybe uh, as early as next year, he will be able to get some substantial playing time. But it's kind of just adding another body to a part of the roster that's already a strength. So... Uh, those those two guys I, I don't see as being fundamental parts of the 2022 roster, barring injury. Um, you know, and could Ed Ingram slide in at center? I, I have my doubts. I, I think he he's, he's a tall guy. I, I don't think that uh, it's a fantastic fit. He doesn't have a lot of experience playing at center. It's just not where I'd put him. Um, and their their guard positions are are already pretty solid. So I think if you put Ed Ingram in there, um, you do it uh, out of strength and out of out of weakness. I think that you know maybe if he really does pop in training camp, there's a world where you do go ahead and use him. Overall, though, uh, I just don't think they're going to be impacts on the season the way that their number one, number two ticks, uh, picks, Lewis Seen and Andrew Booth, have potential. And I think Andrew Booth. Again, just kind of leaning into what I was talking about earlier. His pathway to playing time is 
is a short road. Um, he he kind of has to only just be like basically competent, just to the point where he can demonstrate that he understands what's being asked of him to get some playing time. I I just don't have a lot of confidence in the corners ahead of him. Lewis Seen, I think you can slot in as a day one starter. There's no other safeties. Uh, besides Harrison Smith, and you need two safeties out there. So I think he's going to be playing early and often, and I think he's a darn good player. Um, and then the rest of their draft class, I, I just, you know, if, I think you uh, throw a dart at the wall and hope one of the rest of the guys sticks after those uh, top four players. But, again, Ed Ingram and Brian A. Samoa, good players, good prospects, but I, I didn't talk about them because I don't think they're super relevant for 2022. That's my Vikings review. Um, I will tell you, I think it's a heck of a lot better than anything you're going to get out there from the uh, Vikings media members. I looked at a lot of options of people to bring on the show, and I just couldn't do it. And I said, all right, time to roll up my sleeves and do my own research. <laughs> so, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I will talk to you guys next week here on Cheese and Packers.